Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks, Chloe. Thank you, puppy. Um, I'm sorry I don't have... I mean, my kids will probably be on a little bit later when we wave goodbye, but until then, I don't have any cuteness to compete with that. Um, I just want to acknowledge how awesome it is to have um, Chloe in Alaska being willing to run our production, tell a children's story. Um, We've got Kyle, who's running the sound for worship remotely from his home. It's just, for me, it's such a amazing and beautiful and fun picture of what actually the church is that we're so kind of, we're so spread out and and we're all kind of working together to provide our gifts and talents to bring forth this good news. And so for me, it's, it's such a blessing to be on this. I mean, even though I really hate being on the screen, I hate that I don't get to see all of you and be with you, but um, that we actually have a chance right now if we put on a different lens to see um, the church operate in one of the ways that it operates most often. And that's when you're all doing your life where you're at. Um, I acknowledge too that you might be at home right now just trying to keep your house quiet enough to even to hear what's being said. And I know from my end, when I'm not teaching or when I'm not doing this, it's really hard to to sit, to have my kids sit still for any amount of time, but to listen and take something in. So if you, for, if for you, just turning on this stream is a victory and a sign of um, pushing through your week, I just want to acknowledge that, that I hope that you take this time uh, to rest. And I hope that, that you've, that the Lord finds you in this place and provides peace to you. Um, We are, Welcome. By the way, uh, my name is Ryan. Uh, as a church, we've been going through the New Testament through the year of 2020. Today, we are in First Peter. Um, and I am so honored and privileged every time I get to teach. Um, and this book, I, I, I'll admit, I wasn't immediately, there wasn't something that popped into my head uh, that I was excited to teach about from First Peter. But um, as I read it, it felt like such a necessary book to read, meditate on as we are in such a fractured and um, divisive place um, just as a country um, in our world right now. It seems like knowing what to do with the idea of suffering um, is a very needed talk. And today, yay, we get to talk about suffering. Um, and so I want to give some context around First Peter and what kinds of people he uh, Peter was writing this letter to. Um, so Peter, if you don't know, uh, was one of the disciples and Um, He is the one who, when Jesus renamed him to Peter from Simon, he said that it's, it's on this rock that I will build my church. So there's something very central about what Peter knew about Jesus um, to the building and the development of of the church. So he sent this letter to a lot of churches that were in Asia minor and the surrounding view of Christians at the time 
was not a very positive one. Um, I didn't know this until I started studying this letter a bit more, but the surrounding view of Christians, there was, it was so common to think about them in this way that it almost became synonymous that when you said the word Christian, that you also were talking about people that the surrounding culture thought were atheists because they rejected multiple gods, that they were cannibals because they talked about eating the flesh of Christ and drinking the blood and that they were incestuous because they would use terms like, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And so these views that people had of surrounding Christians um, were not just from the surrounding Roman culture, but it it was also from their kind of Jewish counterparts. Um, And so this small sort of sect, this growing religion was, um, was also an easy target for scapegoating things that were happening around the world at the time. Uh, For example, right as this letter was being written, there was this large fire that happened in Rome and suspiciously Nero's property um, was saved from it. But the Christian church was blamed because they were small. They were an easy target. And so this was a church that was suffering. Nero would crucify and burn Christians in his garden just for light. He would feed them to animals just for entertainment. So we have this this very small, easy target group of people that also is constantly being reminded to to love their enemies. And so um, we have to talk about what it means to suffer as God's people, because if we don't get that right and we if we suffer wrong or if we don't realize that some of the suffering done to us is just and some of it is unjust and first Peter talks about all of that, that we could really get mixed up in this. And it's also a hint in this letter that it binds us to the life of Christ, that our suffering, that our necessary, that our um, our unavoidable suffering as we are called to live these lives in Christ actually bind us to him because he chose that life. He chose to suffer with us, that his coming, his his incarnate being was one that suffered and that hurt and that pain and that cried and wept. Um, and that is a view of Christ that I think is so needed in a culture where we try and avoid pain as much as possible. Um, so for today's reading, I want to go to first Peter chapter five, verses six through 11, and that'll be a slide that will come up on the screen. Uh, first Peter chapter five, verses six through 11, it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So um, one of the things that I know in my life that I'm being called to do more is to cast my 
anxieties on him. And I know that if if your house right now or wherever you're watching this is just is just crazy and it's hard to pay attention and you know that you're not that the clock is ticking on how much you can take in. Let me leave you with this bit of encouragement. And if you need to turn off the TV or whatever and go do your own thing, have at it. But the Lord wants you to cast your anxieties on him and he can handle it. And those those anxieties are are not just the, the things that we bring on ourselves. Sometimes it's the doubts that you have that the Lord will show up for you, for your family, for your plans, that he'll hold all of these pieces that he wants to hear that, that you can actually cast your doubts about him to him. And so I want to encourage you that that as you suffer, as you take on these things, as, as pain hits your life, that the Lord desires to be close and that he actually chose the image of a suffering son to come and be with us and experience that human um, life in the same ways that we do, that he chose that to show us that suffering is something that is inevitable and that can be powerful in our Christian lives and to cast your anxieties on him. So we are going to get into f- this part of First Peter now, um, knowing that this letter was not sent to Western American people. It is very important that we actually Um, look at it from a lens of people that being a community and experiencing things as a community and holding things as a community was, was actually assumed Um, that, that they didn't have to be reminded that they are a people that experienced something as a group because that's how it went. And that's how it was. They held their stores as a community. They held their successes as a community, their failures as a community and their, suffering and their pain. And so I think that that is actually a um, way to look at what we are reading today um, in a very particular lens that that we don't often have because so much of what we talk about in Western Christian culture is about you and it's about how you'll handle it privately on your own. Um, and so in this conversation, as with so many, it's important to bring in an outside voice that understands that alternative lens. And so I want to show you guys a video and know that um, I'm going to be doing a screen share here that uh, that I got some feedback that there might be some glitchiness to the video. um, And I hope that the audio is good. If it cuts out, I'll try and find a way to post it. But um, I'm going to show you this video by an author named Kathy King. So I want to play this for you. Let me give me one sec. I have to screen share. So it's going to take me just a moment. All right. One of the things I have been wrestling with most and currently is that sense of um, Han. So in Korean, there's this term called Han, and I think a rough translation is suffering and sorrow, but that's actually not a very accurate transition or translation. It, it someone once described it as like it's the suffering and the swallowing and the suffering of our people throughout time, and that you carry that 
<laughs> well, who wants to? Why would anyone want to carry your entire people's suffering forever? Um, and yet, I do think that there is something missing in Western US theology around suffering and that we want to emphasize that it's temporary and that it's fleeting and that it can disappear as quickly as you say the sinner's prayer and then your suffering is gone. Um, and so that idea of a long suffering and of carrying the suffering at a spiritual level of other generations is something that I'm trying to sit in a little longer, in part because I am wondering what are the sins of my generation that I am asking my children to carry and what should I have done? What can I still do to lighten or change that suffering? And how does Han or that, uh, that collective ability to carry that, how is that a blessing? Particularly in a society and culture that does not want to suffer and tends to do a lot of numbing. So am I able to connect with something that doesn't have a word in English, but maybe I carry in my bones and in my DNA? And that that is part of the gift that I bring as one who knows both the Korean and the English. Um, can we feel guilty though for what our lineage has done in the past? Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of room for guilt. There's plenty of room for guilt. In fact, here in the U.S. and in the West, I'm not sure we are comfortable with guilt either. I think there's a, a quickness to wanting forgiveness and extending forgiveness and trying to race from guilt to reconciliation. And so we kind of skip over that and that should be and often is a much longer process. Um, so yeah, I'm all about guilt and being, I think, growing up Korean American immigrant, uh, I, I know a lot about individual guilt and I also know a lot about cultural and communal shame and I think recently in the last few years there's been a lot of talk here in the U.S. about shame uh, but it, it feels like it's very individual um, context in a culture that's individualistic and so it's more of the kind of individual road to guilt and forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, but when I talk about guilt and shame, it's definitely much more collective. It's the... So even though I'm not Japanese, I think of um, Naomi Osaka, who just won... Um, this crazy tennis match against her idol. And as a Haitian, Japanese, American cultured woman, 
when she like little little things like when she pulled the visor of her cap down as the crowd was booing and kind of did these small bows there was a part of me that like felt it on a very deep like a visceral reaction way like i almost physically was like oh my gosh um and i think that's the beauty and the gift of having that sense of communal guilt and shame and and i think that it's important i don't think we i don't think we understand brokenness nor can we understand healing and fullness if we aren't able to sit in that tension and i think guilt is that guilt and shame that's that place of tension where we know something went wrong but it could have been so right and beautiful is there a simple way to grow from that simple oh my gosh no i don't think it's simple i think it's complicated and i think um, it requires it requ it requires god and i think it requires community i think it I think we need other people to tell us we are not supposed to be stuck there. And I think maybe because of my um, kind of communal uh, way of thinking, sometimes I feel like I can ex I can be the person who says, you know, you, you can let this go. That mistake that doesn't define you. Because I've needed that. I've needed people to say, yeah, that, that mistake, that was a pretty mean mistake. That was, that was actually a very big mistake. And it was a costly mistake. But you do not have to stay there forever. And hey, there's a whole bunch of us who've made that mistake too. And we've come out on the other side. It's not simple. I wish it were. I think we would all recover a lot better and faster. But I also think that we um, we need, again, I, I think the church could be that place. It should be that place where people can sit in the tension of that and then come out of that together. Um, okay. So talk about this struggle of credentials and credibility. All right. Thank you so much for watching that. I hope that the video worked well. Um, I want to first acknowledge that when I was watching that, there was something that, that graded on me because there's very few examples that I have in my life that have tried to paint any sort of positive picture of guilt or shame. It's I don't have a lot of that. In, in fact, the majority of the experiences that I've had um, are, are trying to pull people out of what can typically happen. And that's that people get so trapped in that. And so I know that there is, that it's really important that we, that we tag that and that we make sure that we, that we don't check out when we hear, like I was tempted to, to, to sort of to be derailed early on in what she's trying to say about saying there's something purposeful about the suffering, the communal suffering, the communal guilt, the communal shame. 
um, because at the end she brings in it, she brings it out beautifully and says, we need to do that in community so that we help people to not get stuck there too. Um, but I want to make sure that, that as we are going forward, that that idea of Han, that idea is something that I think we could absolutely and should absolutely take into how we view the suffering that Peter is addressing here, because these things, if we try to apply them and we try and just take them on and be, be powerful and take them and just do them ourselves, we find so often that we are left isolated and lonely and we don't need any more of that. We don't need, there's enough isolation and loneliness that we are dealing with now. And also there's some hesitation that even I have talking about what first Peter brings up because there have been so many passages in just first Peter two, three, and four that have been weaponized to abuse and be little and um, make people small. I mean, it's, it's some of the texts that people bring up to make women small, to justify slavery, um, to justify abusive governments. Um, there's so much that has to be talked about. And I want to make sure that we focus on the through line of what Peter's saying is that as you suffer, um, and whether or not that suffering is something that through your wisdom you determine is something that was brought on by your own actions or if it's an unjust, that we are called to a specific kind of Christian character that is not one that is just moving towards rebelling against the people who are harming us. That our energy is not meant to, to try and even convert Rome. Or as you read in the Bible, they'll often refer to these worldly systems as Rome, Egypt, Babylon. That their energy as they were being um, crucified, as they were being excluded, lied about, judged, mistreated, excluded, all of these things that Peter's goal was not, all right, let's build up some sort of resistance against the government. He was saying, actually, the gospel that you have to give these people is going to do something powerful as you choose to not play by their rules. As you choose to not fight fire with fire, as you choose to not hate, to not lie, to not seek your own comfort first, that there's something subversive about living your Christ-led life that way. And so Peter is, um, and, and I think what was given to me when I grew up, I mean, the first youth group that I was ever a part of, our name were the Hellfighters. It was intense. I mean, just an intense sort of intro to what uh, it meant to be a Christian person was almost like, okay, now it's us versus the world. And we are fighting this surrounding culture. And if we're not fighting it, we're doing everything we can to convert it. And so um, I think that Peter's call is actually different than that. It's, it's to say we're not meant to fight against flesh and blood, that we're not meant to fight against this surrounding culture. And we're also not called to convert Rome. That as the church, what we see here, there's, there's actually something really interesting in uh, chapter 4, verse 17. It says um, it, there's this really small line that I had never heard, and I think it's skipped over a lot. And Peter says, it's time for judgment to start with us. And he's talking about God's own people, God's family, that when we are looking for who to place um, an emphasis on who's doing stuff right or wrong, 
it goes in line with the the log in your own eye before you can see the speck in someone else's. It's like, let's pay attention to what's happening internally. We have no moral grounding to try and hold our culture um, to any kind of standard if we can't even do that as God's body, as his church. Um, so I think that that was one of the things that Peter is bringing up is that as a community, when you suffer, um, and also uh, your Starbucks cups saying happy holidays is not your Christian persecution. Like, let's make sure that we get out there that that so often what we call our persecution is is an is a distraction from what we could actually be paying attention to. Um, that that I mean, I don't let's just say that um, because I found conflicting evidence as I was looking into this, but I was like, what if rather than focusing on your Starbucks mug saying happy holidays, you paid attention to the fact that they underpay or mistreat their farmers or their workers? Like what did Jesus actually come to pay attention to? Like what would, what would have been his emphasis? And I think what ends up happening is we create this, this scapegoat that we pay attention to over here where scripture seems to call us back over and over again to Look at what's happening in your house. Look what's happening in your church. Are we even doing the things that God has called us to do? Are we living in a way that is so subversive and countercultural that it's a compelling invitation to people who don't just want another version of what the world is offering? And so often what I see happening when we talk about this Christian persecution in America is we're not talking about persecution because we are living right we are we're creating ways to battle culture and so i think that that what we need to do is get back to what is it that what is is the way that we should live that places us in such a dissonance with their surrounding culture but is a really compelling way to draw people in and i think about stories like the ethiopian eunuch that when he was reading Isaiah, and he was asked, do you even know what you're reading about this suffering person that you are reading about? And he says, no, I, how could I know unless someone tells me? And he says, that's Jesus, that that's pointing to the incarnate God, man, person coming to take on suffering, to be with us. And it was that idea that God would choose to suffer with us, to not escape, to not numb out, that there's something about the fact that he's with us as we suffer um that was so compelling that he was like looking for the first body of water he could find to be baptized and i think that that's the compelling stuff that the world needs to know is that christianity is not just the the next best way to get what the world is offering you as far as comforts um that there's actually something more powerful happening there i want to read this list that peter brings up that says, as you're suffering, as you live rightly, and because of all the ways that that will place you at odds with your surrounding world, um, these are the ways that we're called to live. And I want you to pay attention to how often the ways he's talking here um, are not are not trying to put us in conflict with our surrounding world. It's constantly calling us back to love and devotion to each other to God 
and that it's actually that that will be the more powerful, compelling thing, the the more compelling Im, Im, invitation to a way of life that is beautiful. And that's actually how things will be forever, that we're actually called into an eternal kind of life now. So uh, chapter one, verse seven, it says to never forget the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ, that there's something about the kingdom now, and that there's something that that is hinting to a kingdom that is not yet come. Chapter one, verse 13 says, be alert, be sober. Chapter one, 15, live lives that reflect, that reflect Christ's holiness. Chapter one, 22, love one another deeply. Chapter one, 24, remember how we are like grass and flowers. We wither and go away, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Chapter 125, speak kindly, honestly, and be consistent in how you act. Chapter two, verses four and five, know that rejection was Christ's experience too. Chapter two, verse 11, understand that it is your own desires that war with you not the surrounding culture. Chapter two, verse 12, live good lives among the pagans. Chapter two, verse 16, enjoy your freedom. And again, this isn't a freedom from external oppression because that exists and that's very real. It's a freedom from the slavery to your own desire that there's a freedom that you enjoy from not having to buy the next thing or get the next thing, or be more powerful, that there's a freedom that you can enjoy. Verses, uh, chapter two, verses 19 through 25. Remember the unjust suffering of Christ. Our suffering bears witness to him. Chapter three, verse one. In your households, continue in loving service to each other, even if somebody doesn't believe. Chapter three, verse eight. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love, have compassion, and be humble. Chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or trade insults. Chapter 3, verse 15. Be ready when people ask you about your faith. Chapter 4, verse 9. Offer hospitality. Chapter 4, verse 10. Serve each other with your gifts. And then I want to quickly go back because I think there's something in first uh, Peter chapter four, verse three and five that I think is really key to where we're at um, as a church, where we're at as a church placed in America um, where there is so much um, fighting and pain and fear. And I think for the next couple weeks, we're just going to see it ramp up. And my hope is that the church would look very different for the next two weeks. First, uh, first Peter chapter four, verse three through five, it says, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy in their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. I think that Peter's talking about here that this life that we are called to will have a 
dissonance with our surrounding world and that the way that we love is actually going to be our active resistance in that that our act of love over the next two weeks is everybody wants to find the best gotcha argument or share the best video of who to vote for that we actually have an opportunity to be the voice of the church and show that how are we going to and i'm not saying throw off your con convictions on um, how important you think it is to be involved in the political process. I'm not calling for for apathy at all because I'm not even that way. I think that what Peter's talking about here is he's saying Rome will always be Rome. Egypt will always be Egypt. We're never going to, to pull all of that in your lifetime and that your call is to actually live a compelling love-guided life that provides people an alternative allegiance to something that is eternal. Um, chapter four, verse eight says, above all, above all. So Peter lays out a bunch of really important things to do in your household, how to treat slaves, how to obey your leaders. Chapter four, verse eight, above all, love each other deeply. And I think we discount this a lot. We discount how often unity and love and togetherness is actually one of the key factors in how we handle suffering. And I think that idea of Han is really key for us now that we look at how are we holding it as a community. So how do we do this as a community? How do we, how do we hold things as a community when we have been so trained up to think that it's about you and your individual faith? And also when we feel so fractured by being so far apart. Um, and I think that it's a couple of things. I think it's in prayer, start again by casting your anxieties on him. Your anxieties about where, about maybe it's your health or the health of the people that you care about. And again, that's been a huge issue for me um, is to know where I doubt and to trust him with that. Cast your anxieties on him. Be honest with yourself and be willing to sit in the tension of that suffering and be in prayer with that to know what of this is because you're living rightly or what of this is because you're living in sin. Peter talks about that too. He says, not all suffering is unjust. Some of it is because we still pursue ways of, life that are toxic be honest and be willing to sit in that tension and then lastly something that we talked about in church i think this was last year brandon brought up this idea of give others what you need and i think asking yourself what do i need what do i need from my community um and who could i give that to how could I express love, show love, be there for other people in the same way that I need? Not because I want to move past or I want to numb out or I want to not acknowledge the pain that comes when I have a need that's not met, but because there's something in showing love in the midst of that pain that actually invites us into that Christ-formed kind of life and, and that he will comfort you in that. And maybe the comfort will come now. Maybe it will come later or maybe it will come ultimately but know and and trust that the lord is good and that he's there for us because i know that there is suffering 
that is happening. And I feel that. And I, and I hope that as we move towards a more communal understanding of that, that we can hold it more and that we can shoulder each other's pain. Because if we can't even sit in our own suffering and pain and questions, there's no way that we could sit with each other. And so let's build up that for each other. And so I would like to pray now, and then we will go into some more worship with Danny. Lord, would you meet us as we try and take our our anxiousness, take our suffering to you. Lord, help us to place our energy in looking at how we can more better reflect um, your bride rather than trying to war with our outside world. Lord, would you show us how to, how to do that? Um, it's, it's really tough and it's heavy and we've, there's a lot of us that feel lonely and that need to know that we are together in this. Lord, show us how to incorporate that idea of Han into our life as LBCF. Um, Give us wisdom. We need your help. Amen.